I would like to make a few comments. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. We see Americans hating each other, fighting each other, killing each other at home. There is a religious war going on in this country. It is a cultural war. This war is for the soul of America. Because of the way this society is organized, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. Our side, our side, our side. We are a people in a quandary about the present. We are a people in search of our future. And as we see and hear these things, millions of Americans cry out in anguish. Did we come all this way for this? It all seems a long way from a time when politics was a national passion and sometimes even fun. a larger scale to fulfill the promise of America. We are met here as Americans, not as Democrats or Republicans, to solve that problem. Welcome to the Pothole Problem Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Miller, and this is episode nine. For our interview this week, I talked to somebody that I met at a City Club of Portland event at the Alberta Rose Theater last February. At this event, the City Club was unveiling its report on the city government of Portland and its recommendation for changing that form. This is the same event where I met Amanda Manjarez, a guest on the show a few weeks ago. The guest this week is Misha Webley, and Misha is actually a guy who grew up in the neighborhood where I live. In fact, he grew up exactly two blocks from where I'm sitting right now and where we sat down to talk a few weeks ago. Before we started recording, we had a long conversation about a lot of things, including gentrification, gentrification in general, gentrification of this neighborhood in North and Northeast Portland more broadly. Now, gentrification and the outrage it often produces, particularly in a fast-growing and fast-changing city like Portland is right now, is a pretty major issue in urban local politics a lot of places as it is here in Portland. Misha and I had a very wide-ranging conversation, and for the sake of time, I did unfortunately have to cut out a decent chunk of what we talked about, but there's still a lot in here to think about, particularly for anyone like Misha himself who truly wants to have an impact on his community and on the rapid changes and rapid growth occurring, not just in Portland, but throughout the country. Before I get to the interview, I should mention that Misha is the communications manager for the Northeast Coalition of Neighborhoods. If you live in Northeast Portland and you've never heard of this organization, you are to be forgiven. It's a relatively obscure quasi-public entity, and our discussion of this institution of what I think in passing Misha refers to as hyper-local politics, the discussion of this plays into a lot of what Misha talks about he wants to do and what he thinks people should be doing in order to have their voice matter beyond just their single vote and what people should be doing really in the world just to address the things that they find around them that are problematic. So here's my interview with Misha Webley of the Northeast Coalition of Neighborhoods. Thanks for coming in, Misha. I really appreciate it. Why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about what that organization does and what you do for it? The Northeast Coalition of Neighborhoods has been around for about 45 years. We are one of seven neighborhood coalitions in Portland. We we like to say we're kind of a shadow and low-paid government in Portland. Uh, we do a, we are kind of government adjacent is what they call it. Is it publicly financed? It's publicly fine for the most part, publicly financed. Um, it's, it's very complicated because five of us, we're all nonprofits or 501c3s, except for two of us are actually staffed with city employees arbitrarily. NECN was the first of the coalitions and really where that came from is during the 60s and early 70s, there was, was a lot of bad stuff going on. 
the north and northeast Portland basically uh, there was kind of a strategic and intentional disinvestment and negligence by the city uh, as a black neighborhood then almost entirely. And NECN formed basically out of outrage. Uh, and neighborhoods got together to basically demand services and demand a number of different things from the city, you know, more, more equality. And that coincided with a federal thing that was happening, which is the Model Cities Initiative, that basically there was funding for things like what the coalitions became. Um, essentially, the long story short is the city formed the coalition sort of to give an outlet to that outrage, to that civic uh, action. This was a time when there was, I mean, there was riots in Irving Park at this time. There wow. was, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a tough time. But it gave an organizational structure to neighborhoods and to just basically civic activism in the city. And we were one of the first cities to do that. And it uh, officially recognizes the rights of in this case, it was neighborhoods, but to basically petition the city. Did it result in more than just a kind of outlet for the voice? Were there specific policy changes that occurred in the mid, late 70s and into the 80s that resulted from this? Or was it kind of just a bone to throw to say, well, you now have an organization to channel your outrage into feedback to us, the city, but it fell on deaf ears or did it not fall on deaf ears? Uh, it was a little bit of both. And I, and, and you know, I would defer to some of the people that, I, that I've talked to that, that were around and helped found it. Um, it was definitely a positive, um, but it was also definitely a bone the city was throwing. I mean, in coalitions joke that we, we keep the pitchforks out of city hall, <laughs> you know, so you're a buffer between citizen outrage and the elected yeah, officials. Yeah, very, very much. Top. And that's, you know, it's by design and that's what, um, it's, it's a unique system. And also in our system of government, there's, there's not an outlet um, in Portland system of government. We have commission foreign government. We've, we vote at large. We don't have district representatives. Right. Nobody specifically um, represents this part of Portland that we're sitting in right exactly. now. Exactly. We, we are the only apparatus that does. And we are a very small organization, but we punch above our weight. Is there currently a member of the city council who lives in this neighborhood, who comes from this neighborhood? Well, who lives here, you daily does. That is it. Did, I don't know her biography. Did she grow up here or is she deeply from, have deep roots in this neighborhood no. or not? Okay. So she lives here, but that's a technicality, really. She's not from this neighborhood. Like if you were elected right. to the city council at large, you would be from this neighborhood, even though you now live in East Portland. It, exactly. Right. Um, and that's how every other city in the country of our size and above does it, except for Portland. So we fill in a gap, essentially. And that, that means a lot of different things. Uh, we support uh, essentially grassroots and community organizations of all stripes, neighborhood associations onto every kind of organization you can imagine. Sometimes they're a single person. Sometimes they're much larger than that. We have a grants program. I'm the communications manager there, uh, and among many other things, I'm the editor of our newspaper and, and writer for it, and we distribute that out. Uh, we sort of curate content from community members, give them a voice, but we also write and produce stuff, and we send it directly to most of the people uh, in our district. We have 12 different neighborhoods under us, so that includes the neighborhood association. We provide resources to them of all kinds, um, everything from providing insurance for them and all everything they do, which is a much bigger deal than it sounds like. We also provide grants, provide a bit of, of funding to them. And kind of a lot of what we do with, with neighborhoods, but also with every other community group we work with, is kind of guide them to what they need. Sometimes they need something, and a lot of times if they need something, the city to do something, and they have no idea how to get it done. So we're sort of lobbyists in a, in a weird way. We're sort of lobbyists for our own neighborhood, uh, which, which feels good if you grow up here, and, and um, everyone at our office did. Uh, so we all sort of have the same chip on our shoulder. <laughs> um, but we also, you know, that also means that we feel pretty 
passionately about, you know, the work right. we're doing, just trying to ser- serve our area. And it, it is a big patchwork. Civic engagement is messy. One person's definition of that is very different than another's. There's a lot of disagreement. There's not uniformity. It sounds like your organization is a, is a multi-directional pass-through. Like you get feedback from the neighborhood and that gets filtered into the city government. You take information and vice versa. And, vice versa. Yeah. and you and you get information out to the neighborhood associations and to the people who live in your neighborhood. So you, you move information in, in at least both of those directions. Yes. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, we're a go-between when there's a uh, uh, city infrastructure project. They generally, the government struggles with how to communicate what they're doing to people. Um, and a lot of times people are not happy about what they're doing. Uh, sometimes we convene you know, those kind of meetings or sometimes their mediations, you know, to, to resolve those things. So go, yeah, it goes both ways. Right. And the city, the city government has an interest in residents getting good information. And yet residents often just, this is the pothole problem, right? They, they see the potholes mm-hmm. and they say, ah, damn potholes. And why is my neighborhood not having their potholes fixed? Or they see sewers backing up or they see whatever it is they see. And the city has an interest in getting information to those people. So that, to essentially assuage their outrage potentially hopefully hopefully and 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 it, but you know you'd also also be surprised and there's there's a lot of blind spots understanding how important it is that they do do that and it's it's not just information it there's a lot of trust that needs to be built for people right. to even believe that information there's a lot of relationships you need to call on you're at right in the middle of We're that right in the middle messiness of, of civic engagement yeah. so do you do a lot of relationship building as part of your job and yes explain in as much detail as you can but also quickly, how you build relationships and what do you do? Oh, that's, oh, that's a hard question I know to that's answer. a hard question. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I would say as an organization, it, it, it's multifaceted. Um, and I manage a lot of the actual media and public materials and, and things like that. Uh, sometimes it's public speaking, like I, like that you saw. You know, our online presses, I, I make videos for us to talk about kind of policy issues. So it's everything from houselessness, affordable housing issues to environmental issues that we have. So these are all, they're all things people are very concerned about, um, but they don't have a lot of information or answers about. So that's sort of, that's my side. The other side is that uh, my, my coworkers are on the phone all the time. They're, they're at meetings all the time. And we help a lot of nonprofit and grassroots organizations get off the ground. We help them find resources. Well, great. I, I want to move on, um, but I do want to say anybody who's interested should find out more. It's necoalition.org. Yep. I'll put that in the in the show notes as well. But just if you're even fascinated by the idea of what a neighborhood association does or a neighborhood coalition, which is not a neighborhood association, but mm-hmm. a coalition of associations, look into it because it is on the groundwork that is dealing in a very direct human way with the interface between government and citizens. Yeah, and the one thing I would say is that for other for coalitions, but especially for neighborhood associations, because that's basically just available to anyone, this whole system is exactly, it's equal to the people that are in it. So whatever is good or bad is going on is because there's a few volunteers, and it's usually just a few people, and they shape, there's an apparatus that allows you to have some influence and shape over our city in some small way, but it's only as good or as bad as the people involved. And it, it sounds like it's an opportunity for engagement that could have a pretty outsized effect given how much input you have. If there are only a few people and these organizations do have an impact, one person joining and being energetic, even moderately energetic, can make a difference. And can make a very big difference, for for good or for bad. It's not like your (laughs) vote, which, as we all know, it's important to vote, but your single vote is not almost ever going to decide an election. That doesn't mean your vote's not important, but this is a place where your five hours a week or one hour a week could make 
for, for the input of that time, a relatively large difference. Definitely. I do want to move on to the mm-hmm. topic of our podcast. Uh, and you already mentioned the word outrage. So I'll ask you the question I ask all my guests, which is, what is something that used to outrage you, but no longer does? And most importantly, why did that change? So many things used to outrage me. <laughs> so let's, you know, we talked about gentrification. One, capitalism. <laughs> Two, uh, national politics in general. You know, free trade, everything, you know, everything. A kind of across the board. Across the board. Outrage at the fact that the world is. What it is. What it is. Okay. <laughs> so, so generalized outrage. Yeah, the truth is to answer your question, I, I'm not outraged <laughs> at, at, anymore um, because at some point I, I realized that outrage itself is kind of part of the problem, that it's at least a hollow solution to it. It can be very distracting. It can be very distracting. It can be, it can make, it can make you very complacent. I'm not like a, this type of person, I'm not like a social media person, but you can put your rant on Facebook and then feel like you did something, right? You know, you, whether it's, you know, some congressperson or whoever, you can feel like you did your part. You can um, feel very mad. You can put a bumper sticker on your car and you can feel like you did something. Mm -hmm. And the reality is you didn't. And the reality is that's sort of satisfying enough, satisfying you enough or that outrage enough that you stop thinking that you should do anything more that that has that has a bigger impact now you say that you that you realize that outrage could produce complacency what was it that made you realize that if you can remember a lot of it was really just understanding that if you're outraged at something you think that one thing is the problem you think the current president or whatever president is is the problem you think that this one issue is the thing and then you realize well that problem is uh, symptomatic or symbolic it's, it's it's so much bigger than that there's not one thing to be mad at how do you peel that back and say, well, what's actually underneath this? If, if you deal with something like, you know, current president, you know, uh, Trump, obviously divisive and obviously produces outrage on both sides. Yes, it's there's problematic behavior. There's all there's all these things we, you know, you could, you could say about depending where you stand on, on on our president. But at the end of the day, then you have to deal. What you really have to deal with is not him as a person. Right. We have to deal with is how did this happen? Right. What right. produced this outcome? What produced this outcome? Right. And that's, and that really kind of gets to the core of it. I feel like outrage has become very popular. Everyone's mad about things and it, it just produces division. Right. When you're in a divisive state, there's not a solution to be sure. found. You're listening to the Pothole Problem Podcast, created by White Tiger Productions. At White Tiger Productions, we create experiences. If you have an idea for a podcast, a workshop, or a show of any kind, we'll help you go from concept to execution. We provide creative direction and production support. We've got a podcast studio, writers and storytellers, sound engineers and editors, designers, videographers, hosts, creative coaches, everything you need to manifest your creative potential. You name it or even vaguely describe it, and we'll take you from dream to finished product. White Tiger Productions. You can do what you think, and we can help you. Visit us at youcandowhatyouthink.com and tell us what you're thinking about. You now work in politics in a way like Mm -hmm. you're not a politician but you work in an organization that is part of the nexus between citizens and government you're doing something what got you to do that you stopped being outraged because you realized that that was not a solution but you could have easily just then said well the problems in the world are too enormous to tackle i'm just going to do my own thing i I think the the thing is is that if you really if you really think deeply if you if you about Say you say you you care deeply about the problems. That's probably why you're outraged in the first place. At some point, you do get to the what am I going to do about it? You know, there's not a right or wrong. You know, but you start looking about what what's in front of you. At least this is how I think about it. What you know, what can I affect? What can what can I do? And the things that you can do in our government in our country are are things that are much closer to home. So much attention is 
pointed to whatever's happening in Washington, D.C. at any given time. The real problems that our country has, they doesn't matter who's in office. They're always there. Right. It doesn't matter who the president is or who's in Congress if the Concordia neighborhood is being gentrified or not. You know, you mentioned in your list of outrages, you, you mentioned gentrification and then you also mentioned capitalism. Like, you can't do anything about capitalism. Right. You can't bring it down. But you can potentially do something about gentrification. That's a good example. Or even uh, a matter of helping to keep certain histories alive, helping people understand um, what what is going on. What are the effects of, you know, gentrification is just an economic force. It's not right. personal. Yes. You know, I think that's probably, you know, to answer your question, probably was one of the bigger shifts is understanding is it wasn't personal. It wasn't, it didn't attack me. Just White people with money force. moving into the neighborhood you grew up in are a, not here to get you and drive out your family. Right. Speaking as one of the white people who moved into this neighborhood and bought a house, I wasn't out to get you. I was here to find a home for my family, but that doesn't mean I'm not part of that force just right. because it's not personal. Right. And, and they're all forces. Capitalism is a force. You know, these are all just kind of big ethereal things. They're the way things are. And you have to deal with reality. You have to deal with right. how things are. You can't just say, well, I'm against, you know, I've, I've, I've had a conversation with someone not too long ago who was, you know, against civilization. Well, what, you know, what do you do? <laughs> you know, what do you do with right. that? You know, I, you're, you're against civilization. Well, here, here we are. So is, is the only, yeah. is the only solution then to, to destroy civilization? That's not, that's not going to get us anywhere. I mean, that's even bigger than being against capitalism. Right. <laughs> because I thought, I thought being against capitalism was about as big of a thing. There may be a better system than capitalism, but really we're not going to get to that from here. It's a force that someday may be transformed, but like gentrification, it is a force that can be managed and addressed in specific ways, but it can't, you can't just get rid of it. And you can't get rid of the things that we blame on systems or economic systems or anything like inequality, things like that. Those don't go away. Right. You know, they can the, be addressed. They can be addressed, but you're going to have to address them no matter what system you're in. There's no, there's no overall grand socialist government. It's, it's right. not going to solve inequality. It's going to look different. So every day... No matter who's president, no matter who's your congressperson, no matter what economic system, you're still going to have to deal with some fundamental problems. And that's, you know, there's people who have more and there's people who have less and all the tensions in between. There's so much at any given time. There's, there's a way to address big problems in small ways. And, and that's, that's sort of the, that's the thing we can do. So I would normally ask a guest, OK, so what are you what are you outraged by now? You indicated that you aren't outraged at all. But what are you? putting your energy into changing and what's some of your advice for people who would like to put their energy into a change in a real change instead of just shaking their fists at civilization or capitalism <laughs> or gentrification or the city council or rich white people, whatever they're shaking their fists at. I think one distinction I would make is that, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I would make a distinction between outrage and say, you know, anger or, you know, being upset about things. Of course, of course, I feel some kind of way about a number of different things in the world. But you're not morally neutral just because you don't have outrage. Right. Yeah. I, I just don't find it to be a very useful emotion. I um, agree. And more and more, and this has, you know, been admittedly a change and maybe when I'm in the, in the middle of, uh, I, I would go back to so much of the real change that happens is, is right in front of us. And so many of the things that we can affect are right in front of us. They're on a, on a local or even hyper-local level. And those things matter a lot. And they matter a lot more, frankly, than, than national politics. We can influence very little what happens on a national stage, say nothing on the international stage. The, the problem with government on a local level isn't that there's a room full of people smoking cigars and deciding, you know, all this is, things are going to be this way or that. The problem is there's not enough people from the outside that are stepping up and trying to influence it in some way. 
and it's sorely lacking citizen input. That creates a vacuum and nature abhors a vacuum. And what happens is by default, either people, a number of different people with certain interests either hijack that system or or it falls apart out of neglect. You know, people will say, you know, you should go volunteer. You should go do that. And of, course, of course you should. It just takes doing some work. There's a lot more productive things you can do than be mad about things. The question I really just asked myself, and I'm, I'm not really, you know, I wouldn't consider myself an activist uh, in any way, but the question I think is uh, that I ask myself, well, what, what am I going to do about it? Because honestly, you know, if we think about how long we could talk about international affairs or politics, and don't get me wrong, I do, but really, can we do anything about it? We really, we get this very narrow outlet, which is a vote. But when you get to the local level, there's so many different other avenues other than voting. And one, like you said, voting, you statistically matter a lot more. I'll tell you what, you know, we, we, we work with uh, commissioners and bureaus uh, inside a city. They are hungry for input. They, they're not sure how they're doing. Right. <laughs> they need to hear from people. They would love people to be more engaged. Exactly. And the people, the, the first people to come, the first people they hear from are people who are just angry. Yes. But there's a lot more nuanced and a lot more level-headed discussion to be had in the, that where most people are at. They, they are hungry for that. Right. For non-angry or outraged input. Think about yourself personally. If somebody's all up in your face, all mad at you, you're going to get defensive. Mm -hmm. The natural psychological impulse when faced with an assault is to be defensive. Public officials are no different. So we could approach them differently. That's one thing. I mean, approaching them at all, you're even just recommending approaching them at all. Mm -hmm. And then approaching them differently than with angry fists shaking. Right. No pitchforks. No, no pitchforks. Uh, although every Wednesday you can go down to city hall with your pitchfork and basically shout at city council. That's essentially what happens. Right. But yeah, you know, I, I, it's just don't underestimate the power of your own voice on a, right. on a local level. I mean, literally a phone call, literally showing up to city council, liter literally just making some calls to staffers and telling them what's on your mind and calling your neighborhood coalition and saying what right. you can do, things like that. I mean, there, there is a lot you can do. Right. And, it, and people I've talked to who get involved have reported an odd result for me, which is that people find it personally satisfying mm -hmm. to do that, that it doesn't feel like a waste of time. And I'm, I'm sure that's not true for everybody, but I've heard that reported. Um, have you noticed that kind of thing where people actually are like, oh, getting involved even a little bit feels good? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it is very satisfying because we, we're in a world that we're, that seems like is always kind of getting away from us. There's all these big, massive problems. There's, you know, the, the earth is burning up. There's climate change. There's, you know, all this stuff. There's some, and so feels, many big things. So many big things. And some small indication that you, that you can have some impact somewhere goes a long way because you, because you can. Right. And I think of it as it promotes a kind of a psychological and even political health. And the analogy I think of is, you know, politics can, can be very much a spectator sport, especially when you're talking about national politics. People are watching it, mm -hmm. much like you're watching a soccer game or a basketball game or a football game. You're watching it, and you can have no impact on it. You know, I'm, I'm a Seahawks fan. I watch Seahawks games every Sunday. My cheering and certainly my advice to the coach and to the referees, it doesn't have an impact at all. Politics at the national level can be that way. Sitting on the couch is not particularly healthy, as we know, right? But we don't have to think of sports as only those things we watch on TV. You can go play basketball. You can join a local team, an intramural team. And when you do that, you get healthy. Politics is the same way. We could, you could easily watch politics the way you watch sports and sit on your couch and do it and be outraged that the referee made the wrong call or that this president did that or that member of Congress said that. But you can also join a local team. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. way healthier. And, you know, go ahead, spend part of your Sunday watching sports. I do. But then spend part of your week also out there running around, pumping your legs and, you know, circulating right. your blood. When you do that, it feels good. It feels good to be fit. Yeah, absolutely. And if you, it, let's see how far we can extend the, the analogy. And if, if you don't show up, and only a couple people show up to the game, they get to score all the points. That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, if not at the table, you're on the menu. You got to be at the table, <laughs> you know, and the table's there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there, there's a lot of things that you don't like, uh, or maybe that you do, but that are happening um, on, on, a, on a political level locally or, uh, or, or nationally because people have showed up and they are getting their way. We all know that you could go play basketball. But we don't all know that you could go play local politics. Right. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but you can. But you can. And, and, I, and I hope that uh, more people start to realize that. And you're, you're part of the voice trying to get that among other messages, to get that message out. Yeah, absolutely. There's a place to play politics that's right here in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And while you can't change the world and you can't even necessarily solve the problems that bring you into this, you can do something and you can address them and you can have an impact. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end. And I appreciate you coming in to talk to me today. It's been good to be here. Thanks good so much. talking with you. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Pothole Problem Podcast. I want to thank Misha for coming to sit down with me. It was a very enlightening conversation. I want to mention that Misha is a relatively young man, and on next week's episode, we have somebody at the other end of the spectrum, a local Portlander, with 40-plus years of experience in Oregon politics. He's a communications specialist, and he sits down with me in this very same studio in Northeast Portland to talk about his views on outrage and what we can do to address it. That will be episode 10 of the first season of the Pothole Problem podcast. There will be an 11th episode on the following Monday, and that will wrap our fall season. I'm tracking the Portland State University term, and week 10 is the last week of classes. Week 11 is exam week. On week 11, we're going to have one more time where my son Zane sits down and interviews me, and he's going to talk to me about the things that I've learned from this first season of doing the Pothole Problem podcast, the things I've learned from my guests, the reflections and realizations that have come to me as I've put together the episodes and as I've thought about what it is that I've been doing here and the things that I've just learned, you know, by living in the world for another 10 weeks. So that's what's coming up in future weeks. In the immediate future is coming the song. And this week's song is by a band called Mango Stone. They actually performed at my wedding. This is their original tune, Los Revueltos which I hope I pronounced correctly and possibly did not. I want to thank them for submitting the song. I want to thank Misha for sitting down for the interview. And of course, as always, I want to thank you for listening to the Pothole Problem Podcast. Como soy chiquito y bobo. Ay Dios. No quiero mujer bonita. Ay Dios. Como soy chiquito y bobo. Ay Dios. Quiero mujer bonita, ay Dios, porque de gracia de Dios, ay Dios, tiene un grande y me la quita. A mí me gusta que baile Marieta, a mí me gusta que baile Marieta, a mí me gusta que baile Marieta. Mi madre me dijo a mí, ay Dios, que bailara y que gozara, ay Dios, mi madre me dijo a mí, ay Dios, que 
bailar hay que gozar Ay, Dios. Pero que no me metiera Ay, En camisa de once vara A mí me gusta que baile Marieta A mí me gusta que baile Marieta A mí me gusta que baile Marieta yo tengo una mala maña, ay Dios, que a mí mismo me da pena, ay Dios. Yo tengo una mala maña, ay Dios, que a mí mismo me da pena, ay Dios. Que me acuesto yo en mi cama ay Dios. y me levanto en la ajena. A mí me gusta que baile Marieta. A mí me gusta que baile Marieta. A mí me gusta que baile Marieta. El que se roba un pilón, ay Dios, o una piedra de amola, ay Dios. El que se roba un pilón, ay Dios, o una piedra de amola, ay Dios. No se puede llamar ladrón, ay Dios. Sino guapo pa' cargar. A mí me gusta que baile Marieta, quiero bailar con esa morena. A mí me gusta que baile Marieta, se desafina y me saca la letra. A mí me gusta que baile Marieta, oye. Quiero borracho, no, 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 no,